It's the second half of 2019, and Pop Smoke is blowing up. Big stars are falling all over themselves to work with him. They want to be seen with the hot new artist, maybe even get a little bit of his buzz, some of his street cred. Nicki Minaj is first. She hops on a remix of Welcome to the Party. Then Skepta grabs Pop to open up for him on a UK tour. Pop barely has time to catch his breath before his label head Stephen Victor is on to the next thing. Right after he gets back from tour, Pop's in Stephen's office playing new music. Stephen hears the song Gotti and immediately knows he has a hit. My bitch love Coco, 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 Coco. <laughs> Woo back, baby, Woo back, baby. I was like, yo, this this is the next one, B. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we had D, we had Welcome to the Party, we had Dior. I was like, yo, bro, this this is the next one. We got it. We got to get somebody on this. You know what I'm saying? Not just anybody. Steven is thinking big. And he was like, yo, I love Travis. You think we could get him? I said, let me see. You know what I'm saying? I, was like, I don't know, but let me see. Yeah. <laughs> Travis, as in Travis Scott, the latest rapper to turn mogul. Steven spends the next few weeks chasing him down. It wasn't easy. Between his Nike and McDonald's partnerships, that's no small feat. While that's going on, Hop is jetting around the whole country. He was in seven different states in seven days. So we were in New York, we went to LA. We had like meetings with Apple, then we went back to New York. Then Travis was like, yo, I can go in the studio tomorrow. Finally, so we, we Travis agrees, he's in. The thing is, when you're a superstar like Travis, you have to move on Travis time. Stuff has to happen right now. So Travis's team says, yeah, he can record the song tomorrow. But there's a problem. Travis is in L.A. And Pop is back in New York. Pop has to fly across the country again. We did the, the session with Travis. And then the next day, he flies back to New York. And when we land, Travis is like, yo, I need, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to shoot the video. Travis thought Pop was still in L.A., so shooting a video together wouldn't be a big deal. The thing is, you don't tell Travis Scott he made a mistake. So even though they just traveled 3,000 miles, Steven scrambles to get Pop on the next flight out of New York three hours later. He tells Pop. Like, we got to go right back, right now. And he's like, bro, like, I've been in, like, eight different states and countries in the past eight days. Like, I can't do this. He's like, I'm telling you. And I said, Pop, listen to me. Yeah. This is what you signed up for. This he's like, nah, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> he was like, I haven't eaten right. You know what I'm saying? My body's all messed up. It seems like Pop has reached the end of his rope. But five minutes later, he calls Steven back. He said, All right, man, let's go. He's like, but I'm only going if you're coming with me. Steven obliges. And in the end, Travis likes Gotti so much that he makes it a Travis Scott song featuring Pop Smoke, rather than the other way around. Gotta jump at the zoo. Seeing red, seeing blue, yelling flame, hot moves, pop flare, hot. Steven says it was this moment where he realized how much pop trusted him. Steven had this 20-year-old kid's career in his hands and did not want to let him down. It's true. Pop was pushing himself to crazy limits. But that's because he believed in Steven so much. Steven calls a meeting with his entire staff. I said, listen, 
I don't want anyone to talk to me about anything unless it's pop smoke related. I don't want to hear about none of the artists. I don't want to hear about nothing. I only want you guys to be thinking about what you can do with a pop smoke. That's it. I only want to think about how does pop become bigger than Drake? Welcome to Complex Subject Pop Smoke. It's a show about how a kid from Canarsie, Brooklyn, took his neighborhood sound and its beefs and used it all to become a superstar and how it all got taken away too soon. This is episode four, Person of Interest. I'm your host, Punch. It's late 2019, and pop can't go anywhere without being recognized. Eventually, that would become a problem, but in the beginning, it was fun. Like the first time Pop went to the UK. We came out of the train station and like, you know, somebody stopped him and they said his name in a British accent and he kind of freaked out and was like, yo, they really know me like in London. Like, this is crazy. Like, you hear what he said? You hear what he said? He said, Pop Smoke in it, Pop Smoke in it. That's Siobhan Pandia. He's the general manager at Steven's label, Victor Victor. He spent a lot of time with Pop on the road. He was just like, couldn't believe that, you know, some stranger in the middle of this train station knew who he was. That wasn't the only person who knew Pop in London. The UK embraced them like one of their own. Pop Smoke's in the building, man. Hottest artist in the streets right now. You got the place in a whirlwind at the moment, man. <laughs> Money, innit? Money, pounds, pounds. Innit? Yeah, Reese's Pieces and that. Yeah. Like, brown and that. <laughs> Caramel. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pop Smoke in the building! <laughs> one day, back in New York, Stephen got a phone call from his friend Virgil Abloh. You know. Like you do. Virgil's the artistic director of Louis Vuitton and the creator of the luxury streetwear brand Off-White. Virgil told Steven that he'd been listening to Pop's music while creating his latest collection. <sighs> what a cosign. He was like, yo, you come into Paris for Fashion Week. And I was like, I was like, I, I don't know yet. He was like, well, let me know if you come. You know what I'm saying? I got seats for y'all. Virgil wanted to put Pop in the front row of his shows. It was going to be a big fucking deal. And Stephen was going to use every opportunity he could to elevate pop. My mind starts thinking, hmm. We just did the joint with Travis. Pop got a little more metal. But how ill would it be if he was sitting front row at a fashion show? For anyone, this would be huge. But for pop, it was different. See, pop always was into fashion, even before he was famous. There's this great video of him from his high school graduation. Underneath his robe, he was wearing a Burberry shirt and designer sneakers. He's been dripping ever since. Pop loved Dior so much, he even wrote a song about it. So Pop and Shiv land in Paris. And after a quick stop to the Eiffel Tower, Pop is off to his first appointment. He's trying on clothes that Virgil sent him for his front row fashion show appearance. Here's Shiv. You know, I remember we were at the fitting and him being like super uncomfortable by all the clothes because it was some, you know, some of the stuff was so like out there. One of the items is a blue fur coat, long, almost like a robe, and it's covered in off-white signature Arrow logos. The other thing Pop tries on is a pair of sheer mint green Louis Vuitton shorts with a matching shirt and jacket. <laughs> Flossy. He's FaceTiming Steven and Quavo. Quavo the rapper, of course. 
I'm like, yo, what is, you know, Shiv's trying to put me in shorts and he's trying to get me to wear this blue coat. Like, he's crazy. You guys got to tell me, like, you know, is he right? Like, what's going on? And they're like, nah, that's fly, that's fly. You're like, yo, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. The outfits were a hit. Photos of him from Paris Fashion Week went viral, especially one of him in the blue fur coat. It became one of the most famous photos of Pop. Virgil says that Pop was on his way to becoming a true fashion icon. In between partying with celebrities and squeezing in a video shoot with Quavo, Ship got to see a different side of Pop. There were just things that he didn't know because he was only 19, 20 years old that he just wasn't, like, aware of. And even if it was some simple, like, you know, what some girl was saying or, like, we were at a restaurant and he didn't know what to order or whatever. Before becoming a rapper, Pop didn't even have a passport. He hadn't even been to Miami. And in just a few months... He's on his way to becoming a global celebrity. But even as Pop was taking in all of these new experiences, his mind was still in Canarsie. We were driving to the airport early in the morning, you know, after being out all night and stuff, and he was just, like, tired and anything. But he was just like, man, you know, I love Paris. It's beautiful. And he was just so excited about seeing it, and he wanted to show this to his friends. And he was just kind of, like, trying to you know, wrap his head around of, like, how far he had come from, you know, what what he had talked about doing in Brooklyn and his friends that were still on the neighborhood and, and on the street and, you know, wanting to bring him here. He always felt like a great pressure to do that. I know what that's like. I went all around the world DJing before a lot of my friends from the floors had even left Brooklyn. And there's this pressure that you feel, that you need to include your circle, the people who you grew up with, to try to share these moments with you. Sometimes it's a difficult pill to swallow when you know that you can't bring everybody with you. Sometimes it's a lesson that I feel like I'm still learning, still trying to process. So I know the exact seat that Pop was in. After being on top of the world at Paris Fashion Week, Pop and Shiv head back to New York. But the high they were on ended real quick. When they land at JFK, federal agents are waiting for them. That's after the break. Welcome back. Pop and his label's general manager, Shiv, arrive home from Paris Fashion Week. It's the morning of Friday, January 17, 2020. This is a day that really shows just how close the rap world and the streets are, and how those ties can come back to haunt rappers, especially when you're part of the drill scene. There's a spotlight on everything you do. We got back from Paris on Friday. That's when the arrest happened. A month before his Paris trip, Pop had been arrested for stealing a car. The New York City cop said he borrowed a Rolls Royce in L.A. for a video shoot, but instead of returning it, he shipped it back to Brooklyn. The case really didn't seem like much of a thing. It didn't even make the papers. But now, on January 17th, at JFK, Pop was handcuffed by a federal agent, then rushed to the Brooklyn Federal Courthouse for a hearing at 4.30. I've seen it over and over again. You know, the more popular you become... And the more that law enforcement thinks that you may be involved in criminal activity, the more of a bullseye you get on your back. That's Pop's lawyer, Peter Frankel. I'm known as the hip-hop lawyer. It turned out one of the NYPD officers who arrested Pop for the car was a part of the gang unit. What they really wanted was information on two things. The first was a shooting in Canarsie where they had Pop on tape near the scene. 
there was video surveillance that law enforcement got a hold of that showed Pop in a vehicle with somebody else, like driving the wrong way down a one-way street, which clearly to them indicated that, you know, he was trying to get the hell out of there as quickly as possible. Therefore, you know, he must have known what happened. The second thing the NYPD wanted was info on the eight Deuce Trey Crips. The set Pop had been affiliated with since he was a kid. Pop wouldn't talk. So now, the NYPD gets the feds to follow up. Did they try to squeeze him? Yeah, in my opinion, there's no question that they did. Peter Frankel says now, with the feds' help, the NYPD was putting everything they could on Pop to get him to talk. And this time, they wanted even more info. They thought Pop knew something about a different shooting that had happened less than two weeks before. This federal arrest for the car theft really raised the stakes. Because the first time Pop was arrested for the car, jail time seemed unlikely. But now, straight off the plane, facing a federal judge, he's looking at up to 10 years in prison. And to think, yesterday he was in Paris. What a difference 24 hours makes. In the courtroom that day, the government's lawyer, with an FBI agent by her side, makes sure to mention 8 Deuce Trey immediately. It's pretty obvious that the feds care more about the Crips than a car. It's especially obvious to Pop's lawyer. You know, do you see a lot of stolen car cases in federal court? Uh, I can't remember one in, you know, over 20 years, but it didn't change who he was or how he was going to approach it because, you know, Pop was not someone and was never going to be someone who was going to cooperate with law enforcement. Pop was never going to tell. He was no snitch. The feds could have threw the book at him if they wanted. Right after the hearing, Pop got released on a $250,000 bond. It was signed by his mom and Shiv. As collateral, Pop's mom put up her house in Canarsie, the same one that Pop grew up in. Immediately, there were conditions. The government could drug test him at any moment. He also had to give up his passport and get special permission from a judge if he wanted to leave the country. And one more thing. One of the conditions was that he couldn't associate with any known gang members. Now, what's a known gang member? I said to them, give me a list of all the known gang members so that I can make sure that my client doesn't associate with them. You know, but it's ridiculous because there is no such list. This day just keeps on going. It's not over yet. See, before all of the arrest shit went down, Pop was scheduled to perform that very night. It was for Yams Day, a big annual hip-hop concert. Doors open at 8. Hey, yo, you going to Yams Day this year? Yams Day all day. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. yes. And this year was at the Barclays Center, right in the heart of downtown Brooklyn. So of course they wanted Brooklyn's hottest new artist as a special guest. But the cops aren't having it. They barred Pop from performing. Pop still wanted to go, so even after everything, he was like, yo, I gotta go, I gotta go. Shiv says Pop was determined to get on stage. This was supposed to be a huge moment for him. Performing at Yams Day in his hometown could basically crown him the king of New York. So we went home, changed. The plan was to sneak in through the front door and try to make it out, try to make it backstage and then we would do the set and then leave. And we got like 20 feet into the building before someone spotted us and then we got stopped. The NYPD said, not today. They turned Pop and Shiv away. But what was on Pop's mind wasn't the police or the arrest. 
what bothered him was that you know if, if fans thought that it was anything that he did or he didn't want to be there or he was trying to skip out on something or not people wouldn't know why he couldn't be there it just looks like he's not showing up this is really a big deal for any kind of rapper who's on the rise performing in your city for your people it's the most important part of your career connecting with your home base you got to understand though that this is a problem so much bigger than pop Brooklyn drill rappers like Chef G or 22Gs have been banned from playing shows all over New York. The cops say it's because these guys are gang affiliated and that some shit is bound to go down at these venues. But the other side of this is that these guys, they trying to feed their families, make some money in a clean way, connect with their city, the place that first embraced them. But that opportunity keeps getting taken away from them. Unfortunately, Pop would never perform in Brooklyn again. Pop's legal trouble is a wake-up call for Stephen Victor. I say to him, I said, yo, I said, bro, you you moving like way too fast. You got to slow down. And it was around that time when I was like, yo, and you need, because I'm seeing all this. And I'm like, what the, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I'm like, yo, you got to slow down, number one, and you need security. So he's like, I got you. I'm going to slow down, but I'm not fucking with security. He's like, I'm not paying for it. I don't need security. You know what I'm saying? That's what I got my dogs for. I remember telling Pop the same thing as Steven. When a rapper gets to a certain level of fame, they need professional security, no matter how tough they or their friends are. And trust me, I know. Those days with 6ix9ine were no joke. <laughs> Shit. We went from moving with gang in a normal SUV to security and bulletproof trucks. Steven knew that Pop had to make that upgrade too. And I said, yo, it's not that simple now because, you know, you're a person of interest. I'm just saying you're like a celebrity. When you go outside, there's a chance that people are going to recognize you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you're doing shows now. There's a chance that something might happen at the show that got nothing to do with you. Like the security is not there because, you know, I think that you're a punk. The security is there more so to keep you from getting sued or, you know what I'm saying? From more for that than it is for anything else. Steven knew he had to force the issue. So he went to his bosses at Universal Records. And I said, yo, listen, Pop doesn't want security, but, you know, things are going on. I was like, we need to pay for security for him. Mm-hmm. So I got, the, I, I got them to approve security for Pop for two years. There was another reason, beyond pushy fans, that Pop needed security. <laughs> I'm trying to dance nice here. Um, the neighborhoods... I think that we all, when when you know, when you're an active face from the neighborhood, you get what mm-hmm. I mean. It, it it um it forces you to understand that the attention is is brighter on you. You get what yeah. I mean. So you can hear it in my voice that I'm talking around some things. The simple truth is, it wasn't just Pop's rap fame that made him a target. It was his street connections too. So uh-huh. there's a high level of. No one likes to use this word, but it's the real word. It's a level of paranoia. You get what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you're like, I know that I'm a face. I know that how the streets would call it. I'd be a scoreboard if they were able to do something to me. As when you're one of the funny, The funny part about that with Pop is, I feel like that's another reason why I wanted him to have security. Because I felt like he wasn't paranoid about that. Like, for him, it was like, all of these, you know, excuse my French, I, can we curse? Of course, yeah. He was always like, all these niggas is pussy. 
No one's doing nothing. <laughs> that was his mentality. You know I've heard him too. So, so, he, so he was always, he was like, they're not doing nothing. These niggas is all pussy. They're not doing nothing. As January 2020 went on, it became clear that Pop's legal issues around the stolen car weren't going anywhere. Steven and Pop had to get real. I remember they, you know, there was a point in time where I would have conversations with Pop, like in like when after he had got arrested and he was going back and forth to court. And I remember Peter was telling me. Peter Frankel, Pop's lawyer. He said, listen, you know, Pop obviously doesn't want to cooperate, so it is what it is. They have to fight this. He's like, but the worst case scenario, based on the charges, he's like, worst case scenario, he'll do a year in jail. Steven wanted to keep fighting the case, but Pop just wanted to get things over with. The fact of the matter is, while Steven and Peter were battling with the feds, Pop was the one who had to deal with the rules that came along with being out on bond. So I remember having this conversation with Pop, and he was like, man, he was like, so for the next six months, can't smoke weed, I can't drink, I can't hang out with my friends, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. He was like, he was like, yo, Steve, wh- was like, why, man? He was like, I'm gonna just go do the year. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was like, I don't want, I'd rather just go, he's like, it's like I'm in jail now anyway. And he was like, really adamant about that. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I struggle at times when I'm like, maybe I should, maybe I, you know what I'm saying? Maybe I should have just let him do that. Well, because maybe he'd still be here today, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, hi, like, and he's like, he started talking like, you look so good. And I'm like, I'm with the, I'm in, I, I had to stop him. Like, I'm in the car with my mom. I'm gonna text you and talk later. An artist in love. That's next time on Complex Subject, Pop Smoke. Complex Subject, Pop Smoke, is a Spotify original podcast in partnership with Complex. This episode was written and reported by Sean Satera. Our senior producer is Shiva Bayat. Our associate producer and sound designer is Mira El-Rahim. Our editor is Audrey Quinn. Our engineer is William Smith. Original music by Johnny Baker. Additional research done by Sophia Steinert-Evoy. Executive producers from Spotify include Gina Delvac and Jifa Yador. Executive producers from Complex include Donnie Kwok, Nick Wang, and Justin Killian. Special thanks to Alec Friedman, Jessica Dow, Eric Skelton, Chancel Correa, Taliba Newman, and Jennifer Stewart. I'm your host, Punch. Punch.